2: morning and welcome to another edition of Pigeon Radio Australia brought to you here on this great little community radio station is 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the bayside. And you're listening to Pigeon Radio Australia. On Pigeon Radio Australia this week we have an exciting show because last week we weren't on because of Australia Day and I'm proud to say that uh, Southern FM had a great outside broadcast. Last week for Australia Day at this time slot. So, congratulations to our great little community radio station here, 88.3 Southern FM. We've got a great show. We've got Kenny McCall introducing new correspondents. Our show is taking up a new, fresh look, and we've got new correspondents. We're going to introduce them. We've got some interviews to play. We've got some uh, media stuff that we want to uh, tell you about. So, on with the show.
1: Stop the Pigeon, stop the Pigeon, stop the Pigeon, stop the Pigeon, pigeon how? Grab him, jab him, jab him, grab him, stop that Pigeon now!
2: Yeah! Hello and welcome to Pigeon Radio Australia, another edition of Pigeon Radio Australia this week, and it's a very warm welcome to our co-presenter, Mr Tony Barbara. Hello Tony, how are you?
3: And uh, welcome again to Pigeon Radio Australia. Good, evening, and how are you? And hello to all the listeners and everybody around the world. Yeah, hello to all the listeners. How's your birds going, uh, Tony? Well, they not much they're not flying much like but they ain't got help mm. and how did your breeding go this year how, how's your breeding season going? well new years i had a shocker <laughs> yeah uh, all the bloody birds went over the eggs them blooded. oh fi- fireworks. I see. yeah you had the
2: fireworks and the birds yeah well that's what happens to pigeons <laughs> when there's a thunderstorm or fireworks the birds will uh, get off their eggs, and they won't sit on the eggs. And uh, that round of birds that uh, were laid when the
3: fireworks were on or the thunderstorm, they won't. You won't have anything out of them. That was my first round. Was gonna be. Hmm. Because I bred very late anyway. Mm. Unbelievable. Yeah, because I still got some two and three routes left over, so. Mm. I was not gonna breed much. Hmm. So anyway, I can bred some for me, mm. for us anyway, 10 bears. Mm. Getting 10 of you, that's 20. And hopefully I breed 20 myself mm. for, for, for the yearlings.
2: Now, we've got a few interesting articles from overseas, and I'm just going to read a couple of the interesting articles we have. In New York City, in New York City in America... Pigeon pirates. Now listen to this, Tony. Pigeon pirates. Pigeon pirates. Uh, 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 New York City pigeon pirates ruffling feathers by knitting birds and selling them to gun clubs. Now pigeon pirates are spreading their wings on the streets of Manhattan, illegally netting the filthy squabs and then selling them out of state to be killed for sport, animal advocates allege. The most recent pigeon uh, pilfering took place on January the 16th when Hell's Kitchen resident Susan Tang and her husband, Nicholas witnessed two men in a dark blue Dodge caravan and with New York plates tossed seeds on the ground along the 10th Avenue between 58th and 59th Streets. The poachers netted about 50 pigeons, tossed them into the van and sped off. So, what do you think of that, Tony? In America, they're catching pigeons to send to the gun club. That's cruel. It is terrible. Terrible. Yeah, very bad. Uh, and
3: those, bu- those blokes should be arrested for that uh, bad behaviour. Should be put away for a couple of months. Yeah. To the HMLS.
2: <laughs> I think so. Now, also in England, pigeon fancies, I move up the pecking order. Opening time of his many cages, Michael Trojejak watches proudly as more than 70 dusty blue pigeons take flight, soaring high above snow-covered fields in, the, in eastern Poland. My birds are athletes, says the 42-year-old pigeon fancier who inherited his passion for breeding the birds from his father and grandfather. Poland boasts Europe's biggest community of homing pigeon breeders and a string of international competition. Trophies but trails other countries the breeding of pedigree birds that command a higher value. As one of those who has decided to do something about that, Troyesak said he had turned professional after retiring from the army a few years ago and teamed up with a friend. Together, they bought Belgian pigeons with prestigious pedigrees, investing thousands of euros, including €11,000 12,400 euros alone for the progress of a bird called Porsche 911. He's provided us with a lot of satisfaction and money. The ex-army captain said, now he hopes the sky's the limit for Polish pigeon enthusiasts he believes will rise to rival their Belgian and Dutch Counterparts within a decade. So they reckon the Polish people reckon that in ten years time that their birds in Poland are going to be better than birds from Belgium. What do you think of that, Tony? Well they're they're only hoping. Eh? <laughs> they're only hoping that but that's very, yeah. very, yeah, very I think I'll try and get that fella on the radio next week. Ten years, that's a long time, mm. too. Now, also there's been a study on uh, pigeons and animals and in America they did a study at uh, a university and uh, widespread genetic connectivity of feral pigeons across the northern megacity. So what's happening is that uh, the pigeons are... So, what's happening is the pigeons have. Uh, uh, they've done a study on pigeons and they've found out that pigeons from like New York, and if you've got pigeons from California, that uh, they're different now. The birds in California are different to the birds in New York. Uh, well, this is what they reckon. What does that do well, mean? Well, I'll tell you the pigeon population is separating. Pigeon populations, too, are going their separate ways. The pigeons of Boston, for example, are diverging from those of New York City. Eventually, where cities stay separated, each city may have its own unique pigeon. Not is it just the pigeons. The lice, the lice, listen to this, Tony, the lice on the pigeons are evolving. Pigeons have two kinds of lice. One kind rides from the pigeon to the pigeon on tiny f- uh, flies. Really, they are likely to evolve more slowly because their peregrinations keep their genes moving from here to there and there to here. The other kind of pigeon louse passes from mother pigeon to baby pigeon. So they reckon that even the lice on the pigeons now, if you if you got pigeons from New York and pigeons from say, Los Angeles, the lice on the pigeons from New York are different
3: to the lice on the pigeons from Los Angeles. And uh, what about the red mite? Doesn't it exist there. Yeah,
2: yeah, it still exists, but it's different. Different. Yeah. And they reckon that the pigeons from New York look different to the pigeons from Los Angeles.
3: Does the weather got something to do with it? I don't
2: know. We're going to find out because they're doing a study of it at a university in America and they're going to send me some more information. So in the future, we're going to find out what's happening. Strange. Hmm, Very strange. All right, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back with more Pigeon Radio Australia after this. And we'll take a music break now for your pleasure and uh, we're going to listen to a great Australian band with a little bit of a Maltese influence and I'm talking about Joe Camilleri and the Black Sorrows and he's got a great new song from his new album St George's Road. Yes, the Black Sorrows have a new album out St George's Road and uh, he's a great song that I quite like enjoy when I was listening to this album and it's uh, Chiquita. Joe Camilleri and the Black Sorrows here on Pigeon Radio Australia enjoy
4: we'll be back how can there be anything better As I look in your eyes and hold you in my arms again My darling Chiquita, you're the only one for me Ain't no woman's sweeter. I love you for eternity Been working like a slave in a galley, cutting sugar cane until I drop my bedside.
7: southern fm sponsor
6: we stock pitches and farming supplies Tarameed. we get racing pigeons racing horses racing cattle and poultry feeding all racing pigeon products and supplements available we also have live poultry sales Taramid stock feed and farming supplies 1227 holden road tulang vale open seven days a week telephone peter on 0484 three
0: four zero five five one southern FM sponsor natural pigeon products are the Australian distributors for ronefried pigeon products Ronefried a german-based company is a leading manufacturer of world-class premium European racing pigeon products that will help you maintain your racing pigeons inner health all year round contact natural pigeon products on 5, 9981000 and pigeonvitality.com.au Southern FM sponsor
7: Hey, what you doing dad? Hmm? Oh, I'm painting the deck Why? Because the varnish protects the wood from the sun Why? Because sunlight in Australia is really strong Why? Well, because it's full of dangerous UV rays Oh Dad, shouldn't you also protect yourself then?
8: When you cover things, they last longer. Same goes
2: for you. Be sun smart. Save your skin.
9: What you hear on community radio is governed by the community broadcasting codes of practice. The codes of practice cover matters relating to program content that are of concern to the community, including local content, news, current affairs, Australian music content, programs for children, and the responsibilities associated with broadcasting to the community. They also cover aspects such as community access and participation in the operation of this service. Copies of the codes are available from the Community Broadcasting Association website, www.cbaa.org.au.
0: I know fire. I know that burning embers from bushfires can travel 30 kilometres, lighting new fires in seconds, like the one that burnt my house down. I know extreme fire danger ratings or above aren't announced often, but when they are, you need to be ready. Check the Vic Emergency app daily and be prepared to leave early. How well do you know fire? Plan. Act. Survive. Go to emergency.vic.gov.au Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne.
8: When everything keeps changing, It's hard to know how to feel. So if the last couple of years have left you with mixed emotions, you're not alone. Search Beyond Blue Coronavirus for free tools, support, or to have a chat today.
10: Glazba, I čet. Monday
2: is from 10 pm to 3 am. Tune in to Croatian Voice with Marica Chok. A Taste of Croatia with Croatian Music, News, and Chat. Right here on 88.3 Southern FM, The Sounds of the Base. You're tuned to 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the Bayside. And you're listening to the only devoted racing pigeon radio show in the world, and that's Pigeon Radio Australia. Our website address at Pigeon Radio Australia is www.pigeonmedia.com.au. And uh, go and check out the Southern FM website, which has some great stuff on it, www.southernfm.au. Dot com dot au. And right now we have uh, a friend of ours from Geelong who is... Uh, he'll tell us what's going on anyway, and uh, it's a very good day to uh, Kenny McCall from Geelong.
11: How are you, mate? Good.
2: Now, Kenny, tell me... Um, You were supposed to race in 2022, and with COVID and everything, it was interrupted. But uh, you pulled the pin on the race season. How come you did that? Because we were all looking forward to seeing your name up there again in the racing in Geelong. So why did you pull the pin on the racing season? Uh, I pulled the pin on the racing season
11: because... I had a few problems and then I ended up finding out that I had the prostate cancer and, you know, I just put everything on hold for a little bit and that. So everything's going 100% for racing this year. I'm about to put all of the birds into the uh, computer for me so that way I'm up and running. I've got the unit all done, got all the baskets ready. Uh, the breeding season's has going really good. I bred a... A bloke, a team of twenty six, and someone said to me that they were all too old. Well, if they're all too old, and he loses them off the roof, I'd replace them. And I said, if they lose them off the roof, they got no brains in here. I'll ring him up today and ask him how they all and He never lost one. and that. Yeah, that's um, ve-
2: that's that's very good. Um, and um, what now? What are your main breeding pairs? You, you're breeding off those. Those uh, birds that you da- done very well with in the South African races, those, those Superman Jansons.
11: Yeah, they, they're from uh, Clyde Loft, Wales. Ian Daniels bought them in, in. I got them off Ian Daniels, I think it was in 1991, 92, and I've had them ever since. And and they're still performing for you? They're still
2: doing very well? Because a lot of people say that uh, when they bring the imports in and, and a few years pass, those imports sort of drop off and the new ones that are coming in sort of take over. How have you found it?
11: They're dreaming.
2: <laughs> Any, yeah. Anyway, Tony Barber, I think, wants to ask you some questions. Tony, go ahead, mate.
3: Gunny. The yeah. them young ones you bred for Angelo, they nice pigeons. They're looking good. Yep,
11: yeah. they have to race well. That's the main thing. I don't care what they look like as long as they race well. The,
3: well, some of what you bred them last year, had done all right with them.
11: Yes, he had, he had, he had that uh, young cock that he sent, sent uh, to Tasmania a week apart, and he clocked it both times, didn't
3: he? That, that pigeon was coming every week in the clock.
11: Yeah, good so, bird. But first, second. That, yeah. And that's... So, but you just, you've just got to get all your breeding right now. I well, know, and... You know, know, only um, take two rounds of babies, yeah. first round. That, six that six pigeon, that round, pigeon... Money birds. So...
3: I, I made it to third fret open King Island.
11: Yeah, did you get any babies
3: out of it? Well, they said they're sitting on eggs. Because what okay. happened, I, I got a lot of, um, what you call it, parks around me, and and the birds bloody got off the eggs. All of them. That's no, off off the eggs? Oh, yeah, yeah, fireworks. New oh, Year
11: fireworks. Oh, so, okay, so I you out around? I don't have any problems with my neighbours because they all hate me. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, not neighbours. Fireworks We've done that. No, what happened was for the
2: New Year's Eve fireworks, he had the the birds were sitting on eggs, Ken, and what yes. happened when the fireworks were let off, the birds got up off the eggs and they wouldn't sit back on the eggs.
11: Yeah, they they get nervous as I remember the dog jumping up on the uh, outside table. He was trying to jump through the kitchen window Hmm.
2: from the fireworks. (laughs) Yeah. So how how are your breeding? Your breeding has been all right? Like, Have you had uh, any empty eggs or...?
11: No, no problem at all. All all I've been using is the kids' multivitamin, Hmm. uh, garlic oil... The powder on the food, uh, sunflower oil, peanut oil, and they, I use a lot of things, and that, mm. but I haven't had no no problem with breeding. If anything, I'd wish they'd slow down. <laughs> mm. So, um, yeah. you give them vitamins as well, do you? Yes, all the time. Yeah,
2: all the time. All the time, yeah. Uh, all the time. Mm. So, you only take two rounds? One and two rounds? Two rounds.
11: Two rounds out why breeds? So you know, uh, I don't want to fill me loft full of six pizzas off one pigeon and they're all no good. Hmm. So you reckon I've always two ra- only, bre- only bred four babies. That's so, it. You, so you no reckon ways.
2: two rounds are enough to breed off, two, off a pig? Two pair? rounds is enough.
11: Hmm. And always, always, me second round, and all me, uh, money ring birds.
2: Now you've got your Superman Jansons. What other breeds have you got there that you do very well with?
11: I haven't done. done uh, I've got the, uh, the uh, Ray Hunt Van Looms. They were the scrumpy line, yeah. right? And then I've got then I've got the uh, Ross Hawkins Guja line. I've still got them crossed crossed in on. Uh, I brought the Koopmans in, but I haven't tried them yet, right? All so right. they're they're untried. And where where did you obtain your Koopmans from?
2: Uh, what's his name? I think it was National
11: Lofts or something like that. Well, I can tell you. <laughs> uh,
2: so, who, who was it? Yeah, well, National Lofts, I can tell you after talking to Peter Maddock, because Peter Maddock put a Koopman cross into his birds and he done very, very well with them. Like, uh, the Forest Gump line has the uh, Koopman cross in them and the Hardy Kruger cross as well. Um, and, uh, he he did. I
11: knew that. Yeah,
2: yeah, and he did state in that article in the Racing Pigeon Journal, Peter did state that uh, those Koopmans that come out of national lofts are probably the best Koopmans off. He's uh, um, the best Koopmans that he had, and then he had the um, also the uh, the birds that come from Hardy Kruger, the uh, Carl Lewis line.
11: Oh, okay. Oh. And that'd be interesting to see how they fly. I like them. I really like them. And that so it'd be interesting to see how they fly.
2: In China at the moment, uh, the uh, Vanden that everybody's raving about are not doing good at all. Okay, I remember the Koopmans many many years ago when he sent them across to Thailand. So, so how did he go, Koopman, when he first sent those birds over to Thailand? Did he sort of
11: dominate the racing? Did he? I don't know, uh, because I was talking to David Finnity about it. And David Finity said they were big birds and the ones i the ones I got here are big birds.
2: Yeah, they usually big. are big birds. Heroin coysters,
11: Koopmans have, are usually very big birds. Yeah. I tell you some of the Supermans they were big. They were like a bantam. Really? And they were big. there was one pigeon my mate called it Chook. And and they were and they were bloody good pigeons.
2: Well, I can tell you that I've bred a few big pigeons in my loft, and I've found that when I get a big chooky-looking pigeon, it doesn't do any good. So you've you've found that these big birds
11: that you've bred have done good for you. Yeah. Look well, at they're big and light framed. Mm. Right? You know, not not big and heavy, and Every, everything is up to you. You can have the, all the best business in the world if you don't know what you're doing with them. You're not going to do any good. So, what do you
2: mm-hmm. do with them? You're telling us that uh, if you don't do any, if you don't do the good thing with them, you won't do any good. So, what do you yeah, reckon? You got
11: to get, get the feed right. You got to get the loft management right. Mm. And it takes years to do that. You do either that, or if you're a new flyer, catch onto a new, a, a good flyer mm. and get him to teach you.
10: Mm. Uh,
3: yeah. Hang on, Tony wants to ask you a question. Go ahead, Tony. The, these pigeons you're talking about, do they need a lot of work, or easy? No,
11: oh. I only toss twice a week, and it's usually an hour and a half each toss. And and that. what's what so distance? What I don't, I don't,
2: what, what distance do
11: you go to with your tossing? I go from here to um, the Greensboro Turnoff, Pasco Vale. You know, past Pasco Vale, the end yep, of the Western yep. Ring Highway. Yep, yep. And I go to the Shepparton Turnoff. Yep. And I go to Sunday Creek. So just explain to the listeners,
2: whereabouts are you situated? You're situated in Leopold, aren't you? Yeah, not far from Ocean Grove. So just tell them... Tell them with in view of Geelong, where
11: Leopold is situated, uh, situated in between. Uh, you come into Geelong, and you're in about another fifteen minutes out of Geelong, going towards Ocean Grove. Right, so you're in between Ocean Grove and Geelong, and Queenscliff and Geelong. You're in the middle. All oh, right, so it's sort of in the middle. So it's just past
2: yeah. the. Um, the salt, salt, where they, they do the salt? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah.
11: That's the salt works.
10: Yeah, yeah.
11: There. And there. So, yeah. So, you got flyers down in Edemnard oh. Heads. you got flyers in Clifton Springs. you got flyers in Ocean Grove. Mm. You, know, you got flyers down in Torquay. Mm. you got flyers all over the joint.
10: Mm.
2: Now, um, Kenny, we've got a new look, Pigeon Radio Australia this year, and we're getting all new correspondents to make the show a little bit fresher. And I've asked you if you'd like to represent the Geelong Flyers and give us a sort of monthly or bi-monthly report on what's happening in Geelong when we start racing. And you said to me you're happy to do that.
11: Yeah, I don't mind doing that. All yeah. the boys down in Geelong are oh, good
2: on you. So you're going to be our yeah. Geelong man, Kenny McCall.
11: Unless they get rid of me in Geelong, <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen I haven't seen them for a while because by the, by the time they have a meeting on a Monday and I start start work, you know, I'm up at four a.m. to work. I'm not going to go to a pigeon club meeting at nine, 10, at, you know, nine thirty at night. I'm sound asleep. Well,
2: I'm, I'm just about to uh, call another fella in Horsham. Now, um, we've all heard him. He's, his name's name's Bryden McPhee, and he's only 14 years old, and he's going to be our junior correspondent. And he's going to... He, I told him, I said, you pick who you want to talk to, you pick who you want to interview, and he's going to set up all the interviews, and we're going to get a perspective from a young fella who's only 14 years
11: old. Oh, it's great to see young people in the sport. Yeah, it is. Because uh, because if we don't get them in the sport, and they, you know, we go nowhere. I, I ended up getting a new flyer in the sport in Geelong. He works for uh, Parks and Gardens, and I talked to him in the room, uh, and he's keen as, and he's a top greyhound man too.
2: Well, funny you should say that, I went and visited this young fella in Horsham the other day, and uh, I've been giving them a few birds to race, uh, and uh, they're very excited about the pigeons. In fact, all the birds I gave them, I said, you put these in the race loft, they've put them in the stock shed, Uh, (laughs) and uh, he's very excited about those birds, and I introduced him to a couple of flies from Belgium that he's getting advice from. And, um, other used to, uh, race greyhounds as well. And, uh, I was talking to his mum, and his dad and his mum actually met while they were racing greyhounds, and now they race pigeons. Wow,
11: that's amazing, isn't
2: it? Yeah, it is, it is amazing. And, uh, he's had a few champion dogs in his, uh, in his greyhound racing career, and, uh, yeah, I was pretty impressed, but oh, I've seen a lot of people that race greyhounds sort of switch over to the racing pigeons.
11: Yeah, Bob Eaton was a greyhound man too. There you go. There you yeah, go. I'm sure it was Bob Eaton. And Do you, and, and I mean and you got, got... My first lot of pigeons was off Bob Eaton. And
2: you've got Jimmy Veskos in Sydney who's a great greyhound racer. Yeah.
11: Yeah. That, so this, this guy is Ash, Ash Welsh, his name is... Kane has. He's his first year first year with racing pigeons and he sent a team to five to uh, the one loft race in Melbourne uh Yep. Yeah. Now Kenny yes, tell
2: yes. us, are you still entering that one loft race in Thailand or not? No, we're not
11: allowed to send them over at the moment. Oh we're not? How come? No. because it's just too hard. Uh, I've been talking to Dave a David about it, and someone else is trying to, from Australia, send them over, and as soon as he can, we will send them across. All right, well, um, you're going to let the listeners know,
2: as soon as you get the green light to send birds to Thailand, you let the rest of the listeners know, if anybody's interested yes. in sending any birds yes. to Thailand, they can send them.
11: 100%. It's, oh. a, it's, it's, it's a great race to go in. Just, and that we, we were sending them over there for years. We used to take baskets full of pigeons over there. So how many birds would
2: you send over to Thailand?
11: How many did we send? Yeah. Well, I remember uh, Richard Klingon took over, I think, around about five baskets full of birds and had an auction over there. We've still got photos of that. Yeah, fan income. And, and, yeah, yeah, down down at uh, uh, Tanar's house down there where David Finity lives, down that way.
2: And and how have your results been in the Thailand race in previous years?
11: I've done all right in Thailand, and they, I got a beautiful gold trophy from Thailand in one of the hotspot races. And they, you know, and the cat knocked it over and broke it. It's devastated. <laughs> well, you know what you're going to
2: have to do. You're going to have to get in touch with your mate David Finity, and get us somebody that knows how to speak English from Thailand to tell us a little bit about their race over there.
11: Yeah, David would be able to do that because the the, the races over there now, the racing down in Paddy now. I think this year they had six thousand birds. How how many birds did they have? Six or seven
2: birds. That's a one loft race. Six thousand. Gee, that's a, that's a lot of pigeons. Yeah, I mean, and six
11: thousand is probably less. They might have been six. Six or seven thousand birds, Mm. and I saw that first uh, prize was 190,000.
2: Yeah, and 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 we all know who done well, very well in that race. It was Hardy Kruger from Germany. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I think he, I think he (laughs) took up the first place position in that race.
11: Yeah, that's very good. Yeah, winning races like that is great. Even, Even the Meadowvale race is just a great race. That encourages people to race pigeons. And that. Yeah. Oh, that's how I Well,
2: it. you know what I like about one loft races? You can get people involved into pigeon racing that haven't got anything to do with pigeon racing. They can always stick a bird in a one loft race and uh cross their fingers and hope for the best.
11: Yeah, I, I, I one loft race. Mm. We went down there, I, I mean my brother went in it, I sent two birds and I was a winner take all. We went down there, waited and waited and waited. There was it's. Mm. We drove home, and when I got got home, David Lockwood rang me and he said our bird was the only one that made it on the night. We pulled it all (laughs) the
2: way too. Oh, that's a fabulous story, Kenny. Uh, But we've uh, come to the end of our uh, time slot, and uh, we'll catch up with you next time, and you can tell us a bit more about the uh, race in Thailand and fill us in on what's happening in Geelong. And thanks for being a part of Pigeon Radio Australia this morning. Right now, we're going to take a tribute music break, and... uh, Last week we had the sad news all over the news uh, all over the world that uh, Meatloaf sadly passed away last week, and uh, I'd like to play a little bit of a tribute to Meatloaf because that's the kind of stuff that uh, we were listening to when I was young. And um, yeah, here's a tribute to Meatloaf, and um, here's his greatest hit of from Meatloaf, Bat Out of Hell." Here on Pigeon Radio Australia, rest in peace. Meat Love.
10: shot the streets On down in the tunnel with a deadly horizon Oh, I swear I saw a young boy down in the cover, he was stocking the foam and the heat i baby, you're the only thing in this whole world good and the right And wherever you are, wherever you go There's always gonna be some light But I gotta get out so we die like the most of our one night Together when it's only a We'll both be so remote. Damn, dancing through the night with you Well, if I gotta be damned, you know I'm gonna be damned Some last, but I gotta get out. I gotta break it out now before the final crack of So we gotta make the most of our one night together. When it's over, you know we'll both be so i
4: crawling on back to
0: Natural Pigeon Products are the Australian distributors for Rohnfried Pigeon Products. Rohnfried, a German-based company, is a leading manufacturer of world-class, premium, European racing pigeon products that will help you maintain your racing pigeon's inner health all year round. Contact Natural Pigeon Products on 035981000 and pigeonvitality.com.au Southern FM Sponsor your one stock
6: produce and farming supplies. Taramead. We get racing pigeons racing, horses racing, cattle and poultry feeding. All racing pigeon products and supplements available. We also have live poultry sales. Tarameed stock feed and farming supplies. 1227 Holden Road, Toulon Vale. Open seven days a week. Telephone, Peter, on 0484 340.
8: Southern FM sponsor. G'day, Josh Gatt, host of Bluestone Sounds, a show about live music and emerging acts. Just letting you know that I'm still running the show on your Wednesday, midday to 2 pm. But if you're a night owl like me, I'd like to very warmly invite you to come and hang out on your Friday morning, Thursday night. That's right, Bluestone Sounds Midnight Edition. Playing the risque stuff I can't play during the light of day. That's midnight till 3 a.m.
5: Hi there it's me,
7: Graham the garden gnome. If you want to know everything
11: about where I live in your garden, listen in to Molly's Blooming Hour every Saturday at 4 p.m. Only here on 88.3 Southern FM. <laughs>
7: Across Melbourne, this is 88.3 Southern FM.
5: Hello, Bayside. Daniel Mulligan here. I host a little show on Thursday nights from 10pm till midnight called I Know You Got Soul. If you tune in, you'll hear top quality hip-hop, soul and R&B from local international artists, old school, new school and everything in between. That's I Know You Got Salt, 10pm, Thursday nights on 88.3 Southern FM.
10: G'day, I'm Rex Hunt. Here's a product I really believe in. We all use it, can't live without it. What is it? It's water. Now, I told you it was a great product. What else has so many uses? Drinking, swimming, cooking, washing, and of course, folks, fishing. But here's the thing. I don't want to sell you more of it. I'm asking you to use less and keep our waterways clean. Otherwise, it'll be a yibbida-yibbida. That's all, folks.
2: The future of water is in our hands. We're at a party. Three little kids were playing in the pool, all under five. Adults were busy talking, glanced over, noticed a little one underwater.
1: I think she needs help.
2: That's how easily something can happen. It only takes a few seconds. Don't worry, the party had a happy ending. But we need to remember, fence the pool, shut the gate. Teach your kids to swim, it's great. Supervise, watch your mate and learn how to resuscitate. I'm Laurie Lawrence. Kids Alive, do the five.
0: You're listening to Pigeon Radio Australia on 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the bayside, Melbourne, Australia.
1: The pigeon, stop 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 the pigeon, 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 pigeon how him, jab him, jab him, 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 him,
2: stop that pigeon now. Yeah. And right now we have to break for the Southern FM national radio news and uh, we'll be back after the national radio news here on 88.3 southern fm the sounds of the bayside and we'll be back with our new young junior correspondent for Pigeon Radio Australia, and that's Bryden McPhee from Horsham. We're going to hear what he's going to be doing for Pigeon Radio Australia this year and catching up with him. And also there's some other great interviews and stuff coming up in our next half of Pigeon Radio Australia here on 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the Bayside. So we'll catch you after the Southern FM National Radio News.
0: You're listening to Pigeon Radio Australia. Broadcast from Melbourne, Australia on 88.3 Southern FM, The Sounds of the Bayside. Stop
1: the pigeon, stop 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 the pigeon.
2: You're tuned to Pigeon Radio Australia here at uh, our home studios in Melton, Victoria. And our website address at Pigeon Radio Australia is www.pigeonmedia.com.au. And you're tuned to a great community radio station which is 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the bayside. And our website address at Southern FM is www.southernfm.com. Now, I'd like to make a special announcement. We have on Pigeon Radio Australia this year a new lineup for the uh, radio program. And one of our new lineups is our junior correspondent. And his name is Bryden McPhee. And we've heard him on Pigeon Radio Australia before. And I'd like to welcome him to Pigeon Radio Australia as our junior correspondent. And he's going to tell us what he's going to do and what kind of interviews he's going to do for us for Pigeon Radio Australia. Brian, welcome to Pigeon Radio Australia, and tell us a little bit about what you're going to do to contribute to the program this year.
12: Yeah, g'day guys, how you going? Um, so um, what I'm going to be doing is mainly interviewing people like a bit younger, like me, in the sport, and um, people that are uh, around, like, my area, sort of, and finding out stuff about them and what they do and what they like to do.
2: And are you going to give us some country results? Are you going to find out some results, say, from Ballarat, from Horsham, from uh, what other towns are near you?
12: Um. Well, I've got, well, well yeah, there's Ballarat and then there's... Um, uh, well, then there's Adelaide, I suppose, if you class that, and close, and
2: Melbourne, and um, Mildura. Mm. Well, put it this way, Brighton. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a free ticket. So you just got to ring me every week and say to me, Ivan, I've got this so-and-so from Mildura or so-and-so from Horsham, and you can do the interview and you can run the whole show. Yeah. What do you think of that? Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, that'd be great. Now, tell us, Brighton, how's your uh, breeding going for the next season?
12: Yeah, it's going great, actually. We've got a fair few youngins out at the moment, off and flying, and that. And um, yeah, it's going good so far.
2: Yeah, very good. So, you, no problems in your breeding at all?
12: Um, no, we're going pretty good. Birds are looking really good.
2: Oh, that's fantastic. And what do you reckon, how are you going to go with racing this year?
12: Um. Well, Well, we always hope to do better each year. That's our plan to do better and better and improve on things that we think we could do better than what we did last year. So we just aim to try and do that this year and... See how it all
2: plans out, I suppose. Yeah, that's good. Now, the other day I come up and visited you and I had a look at your loft and you've got some fantastic pigeons up there. You've really got some great birds. And uh, I've put you in touch with a few blokes from Belgium and I put your photo up on Facebook and that. And uh, your dad tells me that you've had a few um, people contacting you. Yeah,
12: I have had a few messages actually from Jelly. And um yeah. So I've been having a conversation with him
2: and yeah. And how do you find his advice?
12: Um Well, we haven't really talked that much into it at the moment. we sort of just um I guess getting to know each other a bit. But yeah.
2: Oh good. And are you excited about getting some advice from him because he's a professional yeah. bike?
12: It's um it's it's good it's always good to get other advice from other flyers to find out what they do and maybe try to change something around and try different things and yeah, it might work for us. It might not. You never know. Mm.
2: Oh well, Brighton. Thanks very much for that, and uh, we we'll look forward to uh, what you've got in store for Pigeon Radio Australia for 2022.
12: Yeah. All
2: right, mate. Thanks very much for being a part of the program, and uh, we'll catch up with you next week.
12: All right. No worries. Thanks, Ivan.
2: Thanks, mate. See you later.
10: Yeah. Bye. We're in trouble
6: your one-stop produce and farming supplies. Taramead. We get racing pigeons racing, horses racing, cattle and poultry feeding. All racing pigeon products and supplements available. We also have live poultry sales. Tarameed stock feed and farming supplies. 1227 Holden Road, Toulon Vale. Open seven days a week. Telephone, Peter, on 0484-340. 5 5 1. Southern FM sponsored.
2: Hi, I'm Peter Tollich. Join me every Thursday at 9 a.m. for the Music Director Programme. Two hours of the newest music from Australia and around the globe. I play all genres of music from Americana to Zydeco with a heavy emphasis on Australian music. So if you like it new like I do and want to stay up to date, lock in 9am Australian Eastern Standard Time every Thursday for the Music Director
11: Program on 88.3 Southern FM, the Sounds of the Bayside.
8: G'day, Josh Gatt, host of Bluestone Sounds. A show about live music and emerging acts. Just letting you know that I'm still running the show on your Wednesday, midday to 2 pm. But if you're a night owl like me, I'd like to very warmly invite you to come and hang out on your Friday morning, Thursday night. That's right, Bluestone Sounds Midnight Edition. Playing the risque stuff I can't play during the light of day. That's midnight till 3 a.m. on your Thursday night, Friday morning.
12: Know how to dream that day. Someday... I would just fly, fly away. And I always knew I couldn't stay. So I had a dream that I just fly away.
0: You're listening to Pigeon Radio Australia on 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the Bayside.
12: And I always knew I couldn't stay. So I had a dream that I just fly away, away. Oh. I had a dream.
1: Stop the pigeon, 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 stop the pigeon. pigeon,
2: You're tuned to 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the Bayside, and you're listening to the only devoted racing pigeon radio show in the world, and that's Pigeon Radio Australia. Our uh, website address at Pigeon Radio radio, (laughs) Australia is www.pigeonmedia.com.au, and the Southern FM website address is www.southernfm.com.au. And don't forget, we podcast, we do weekly podcasts of these shows on the Podbean network uh, via the internet. So uh, if you want to search our podcast you can search it via the Mr and Mrs Google machine. Just put in Pigeon Radio Australia and we'll come up the top of the page. And also uh, on Facebook we have a very large group with about 85,000 members clicking on to 90,000 members and that's the Racing Pigeon Global. We also have an Australian group called The Racing Pigeon Australia, Pigeon Radio Australia. So go and have a look at those groups on Facebook. Now, right now, uh, I listen to an interesting uh, podcast on spy pigeons. Now, this is very interesting, and uh, I'm I'm going to play it for you so we can listen to how pigeons uh, served armies during the war as spies. Throughout the history of war... There is one type of soldier often overlooked, the homing pigeon. During wars in the 19th and 20th centuries, homing pigeons were used as messengers and spies, flying harrowing missions to deliver crucial and sometimes life-saving intelligence. So let's have a listen to Spy Pigeons on Pigeon Radio Australia.
9: Not all pigeons are created equal. Anyone who spent time in plazas and porticos recognizes that few of these dirty urban birds are likely war heroes. But the birds we're discussing today are homing pigeons, which refers to specific breeds descended from the rock pigeon. This ancient wild bird was found to have an uncanny ability to find its way home, even from great distances. They could also reach top flying speeds of 100 miles per hour and maintain a speed of 60 miles per hour across hundreds of miles. This made the rock pigeon an excellent breeding species for racing pigeons. Pigeons have been bred for racing since biblical times, almost 3,000 years ago. However, one of the earliest recorded uses of these fast birds to carry messages only came around 540 BCE, when King Cyrus of Persia trained pigeons to reach far lands in his empire, carrying tiny notes attached to their legs with bits of leather. The ancient Greeks also sent news of the original Olympic Games with pigeons, distant towns discovered the names of the victors when the birds arrived bearing simple messages with a name and event. In a similar fashion, the ancient Romans used pigeons at chariot races to tell the wealthy team owners how their horses fared. A thousand years later, in the 12th century, Genghis Khan created a pigeon postal service establishing a relay system of nests across Asia and Europe. These nests were called lofts and could house dozens of birds in a large set of interconnected cages. But as the centuries wore on, raising pigeons became less of a practical endeavor. In medieval France, keeping pigeons was a sign of prestige. The bird trainers were even called fanciers. In the wake of the French Revolution and the downfall of nobility, pigeon racing became a popular pastime for the common people as well. Using pigeons to carry messages fell by the wayside until war made it necessary for survival. In 1870, during the Franco-Prussian War, Paris was under siege. The city received very little information from the outside world, but enterprising Parisians developed a system to bring news from the countryside. With the Prussians lined up outside the city walls blocking all transit, the citizens of Paris found a way to send items up and over the enemy lines. Gas balloons. Attached to the bottom of the small balloons were pigeon crates. When the balloon fell back to earth, the rural French citizens opened the crate, wrote brief letters to their countrymen besieged in Paris, and set the pigeon loose with the mail attached. The homing pigeon flew back to its original loft in Paris, Where the message was passed along by the fancier oftentimes the entire process from balloon launch to the pigeons return occurred in a single afternoon by the end of the siege in january 1871 over 400 homing pigeons called homers were floating over the wall via balloons the Prussian invaders had become so used to seeing the birds that they trained falcons to hunt them mid-flight and use rifles to shoot them down. Although 80% of the 400 birds were eventually lost, the Parisian pigeons had proven that the communication system worked. The grateful citizens commissioned Frederick Bartholdi, the sculptor who designed the Statue of Liberty, to create a pigeon statue as a memorial to the siege in 1905. Beyond Paris, European military outfits took note and began to enlist pigeons into the service as special intelligence agents. Naval commanders found that homers could even deliver news back to land from ships at sea. By the turn of the 20th century, pigeon communication was an established widespread tactic just in time for the next massive war in 1914. This time, thousands of soldiers' lives relied on winged armies of tiny birds. All of Europe descended into chaos as the First World War erupted, and all of its soldiers descended into trenches. As wireless radio and air reconnaissance were still in their infancy, entrenched armies largely relied on pigeons for intelligence and communication. The German Empire used pigeons with small cameras strapped to their torsos to fly over the Allied trenches. Though they could only take a few pictures, the pigeons provided valuable aerial intelligence. These photographer pigeons were only retired toward the end of the war, when airplane and camera technology developed enough to allow pilots to take pictures while flying. In France alone, as many as 30,000 pigeons had been used throughout the course of the war. The homers were so important to the war effort that the French government declared that anyone interfering with homing pigeon flights could be put to death. In fact, when American forces joined the Allies in 1917, General Pershing was so impressed with pigeon communication that he ordered the U.S. Army Signal Corps to develop their own lofts and training system. It was one of these American pigeons that would embark on one of the most heroic missions of World War I. The pigeon was called Cher Ami, French for Dear Friend. She was one of the seven homers Major Whittlesey's battalion carried with them on their push into France's Argonne Forest. The battalion had moved forward on the German lines on October 2nd, 1918. They'd been the only force to reach enemy territory. But 24 hours later, the battalion was cut off by German reinforcements. They were trapped and surrounded, and the Allies had no idea of their exact location. In fact, since Whittlesey's men were behind enemy lines, their own artillery was landing on them. As German machine guns and friendly fire alike rained down on the lost battalion, Whittlesey frantically tried to get a message out via his pigeons. They were only 20 miles from the front, a distance a pigeon could cover in as many minutes at their usual flying speed of 60 miles an hour. But each time Whittlesey loosed a homing pigeon, the Germans shot it out of the sky. As quickly as the messages were sent up, they vanished in a puff of feathers and viscera. Now he was down to his last bird, Cherami. The wounded Major quickly scribbled a final, desperate message to the Allied artillery on October 4th. The note gave their position and said... "'Our own artillery is dropping a barrage directly on us. "'For heaven's sake, stop it!' He gave the note to Cheramie's fancier, a private named Richards. The private rolled the tiny paper into Cheramie's message container, a tiny metal cylinder strapped to her leg. Then Richards clutched the little homer and tossed her into the air. Cheramie beat her wings furiously and took to the sky.' where she promptly headed for the nearest tree branch. Whittlesey and Richards watched dumbfounded as Cheramie preened her feathers just a few yards away. Homers were notoriously smart. If you'd seen your other comrades blasted out of the sky, wouldn't you hunker down too? Richards carefully and quietly moved to the base of the tree and shimmied up the trunk towards Cheramie's branch. With a swift shake, Cheramie took off again. But after seeing Richards climb, now the Germans had the bird in their sights. A small howitzer fired a flak shell, leading the tiny pigeon by a few feet. There was a burst of shrapnel, and Cheramie plummeted to the ground. Whittlesey and his men were crushed. Their last hope of rescue was flapping on the ground like a bird caught in the jaws of death. But Cher wasn't dead yet. The battalion watched as the injured pigeon lifted off again. The Germans opened fire, rifle shots whizzed by the little bird as she gained altitude and speed, and then Cher was out of range, heading back towards the Allied headquarters and her loft. Twenty-six minutes after Cher took flight, a bell clanged in the pigeon fancier tent near the main loft at headquarters. It was the signal that a bird had returned from the battlefield the officer on duty went out to the loft and found a bloody battered cher ami she'd been blinded in one eye and shot through her breast and her right leg which was dangling by a few strands of tissue the bird hopped on her good leg eyeing the officer as he carefully extracted the message the artillery stopped moments later and a rescue was organized. On October 8th, Whittlesey and 194 of his men emerged from the forest. Medics performed a battlefield surgery on Cheremy to remove the damaged leg and staunch the wounds to her head and body. By now, every man in the trenches in the Argonne knew the story of the heroic pigeon. While she recovered from the surgery, One of the soldiers carved a tiny, pigeon-sized wooden leg for her. Cheramie was sent back to the United States for a victory tour to schools and hospitals, sporting her new leg the whole time. When the French heard the story of the pigeon and the daring rescue, they awarded Cheramie the Croix de Guerre, one of their highest military honors. Unfortunately, Cheramie lived for less than a year after the battle, she died in Fort Monmouth, New Jersey, and her body was donated to the Smithsonian Institution, where it still resides. By 1931, when Cher Ami was inducted into the Racing Pigeon Hall of Fame, the concept of using homing pigeons in war was considered outdated. As airplanes, tanks, and wireless radios developed, the use of massive pigeon lofts on the battlefield seemed antiquated. When another world war broke out a few years later, the Allies were caught off guard by the almost immediate fall of France. Winston Churchill became desperate for intelligence from the occupied territory and realized that obtaining it would require every kind of tactic in the book, including homing pigeons. But the military had forsaken pigeon breeding for years, and now the majority of pigeons in Britain were once again bred by the public for races, So as Hitler moved west to conquer Britain, the call went out across the country for birds to be donated to the national defense. This time, pigeons were going up against the Nazis. We'll hear about the top secret pigeons of World War II right after this. Now back to the story. By May 1938... Another war in Europe seemed imminent. Britain's SIS, or Secret Intelligence Service, secretly bought 60 acres of land 55 miles northwest of London. The property, which would serve as the home for British espionage and cryptography during the war, was called Bletchley Park. The acreage included a mansion, outbuildings, an enormous garage, and a pigeon loft. The espionage division at Bletchley knew that intercepting German radio communications and researching code machines wouldn't get them enough intelligence to win this war. They needed their own intel from the source. They'd use men and women, but the more boots they had on the ground, or wings in the air, the better. So they turned to another flock of agents' pigeons. Drop a pigeon in France, and it could fly home to Britain with intel— the pigeons would be indispensable spy tools. Unfortunately, Bletchley didn't have enough birds. They needed hundreds to make the plan work. But while the military had ignored pigeon breeding since the end of World War I, the working class in Britain had taken up the slack. When the war broke out in 1939, There were over 600 pigeon racing clubs in Britain, with over 300,000 homing pigeons and 70,000 lofts. The majority of these birds were bred specifically to fly great distances very quickly. After all, pigeon races were often 600 miles long, about the distance from London to Berlin. When the call went out across the nation for volunteers to form the National Pigeon Service, The response was overwhelming. British Major William Ostman called the massive outpouring of pigeon contributions the only ammunition of the war to be provided free of charge. By June 1939, Bletchley Park was up and running as Britain's primary headquarters for espionage, including spy pigeons, which was why local pigeon trainer Charles Skevington was having trouble with his wife. Charles was well known in the local community for breeding and training some of the best racing pigeons in Britain. When British intelligence asked him to train pigeons for Bletchley Park, he couldn't reveal the specifics to anyone, so he told his wife he was simply adding some new feathered friends to the roster of local birds he looked after. Training a pigeon was no small job. Each bird needed at least a hundred flights, beginning varying distances away from their loft, to acquire the homing sense. Once they had that, the pigeons considered that loft home and would find their way back almost without fail. In the case of mobile lofts, which looked like giant covered wagons, pigeons needed at least 48 hours to acclimate every time the loft moved to a new position. Getting young pigeons home to military lofts was a full-time job. Charles would take the birds out a mile from the loft and release them, then five miles, then twenty, until the birds were homed. He was constantly crisscrossing the region. But after a year on the job, his wife thought it was strange that he never talked about the pigeons he was training so hard, and he dodged all her questions about them. It was also concerning that Charles often had to go collect pigeon feed at midnight. But he wasn't collecting pigeon feed. Little did Mrs. Skevington know, but Charles had been given top-secret clearance. The Bletchley staff all had clearances and signed ironclad non-disclosure agreements. Secrecy was paramount, especially for Charles' job. If the Germans found and destroyed even one pigeon loft, it would be like capturing dozens of radio operators all at once. This was because the pigeons were a vital method of communication for British operatives dropping into occupied Europe. On July 22, 1940, shortly after the disastrous retreat of British forces from Dunkirk, Churchill had formed the Special Operations Executive, or SOE. Their mission was to insert agents into enemy territory and gather intelligence from civilian informants already living under occupation. However, there were two significant disadvantages working against the agents and their usual modern method of communication with headquarters, radios. First, Wireless radios were bulky and difficult to transport, much less operate in the field. Even worse, the Germans could intercept the radio transmissions and discover the hidden locations of radios and their operators. Pigeons could allay some of those difficulties. So on August 21, 1940, the SOE founded Squadron 419 and enlisted some of the Bletchley birds as their first recruits. This was just one of the squadrons that would use pigeons, though the birds themselves didn't wear uniforms or patches. The purpose of Squadron 419 and others like it was crucial. The pilots delivered pigeons into Nazi occupied territory, but they often couldn't risk landing, even for a few minutes, so their primary missions were airdrops. Charles' midnight runs were almost always to the Stratus Hall airfield, where the Royal Air Force had a base. He often carried two birds, but sometimes as many as six, which was the largest number he could fit into a single parachute container. The pigeon drops were an elegant process of bundling the birds into small cardboard tubes and shoving them out of the back of the old Whitley bombers. Each cardboard container, about a foot long and six inches wide, had a small parachute attached, which let the birds drop softly onto French soil. Taped to the outside of the container was an envelope with instructions in English and French, a questionnaire, two sheets of thin rice paper, and a pencil. The pigeon container also held two message containers, small one inch cylinders made of Bakelite and attached to a tiny leather strap to be snapped around the pigeon's leg. The goal was to have civilians or known informants fill out the questionnaire and release the pigeon. Within hours, the bird would be back home in England, intel in tail and hand, or talon. Apart from the airdrops, the pigeons were also a primary method of communication for the covert operatives parachuting into enemy territory. Homing pigeons were only one-way communication, but thanks to their discreet size, they were the best option for many clandestine operations. So SOE agents carried pigeons bundled into their jackets when they parachuted the pigeons were so important that mandatory pigeon training was implemented for SOE operatives. They learned many key facts about caring for homing pigeons. The birds could only stay in confinement for 48 hours before they needed to move their wings. But after 10 days, pigeons often lost their original homing sense and acclimated to the local area. Agents even learned how to read pigeon feces to determine whether the bird was fit to fly. As the training manual put it, color provides guidance. If showing green, the pigeon is out of sorts and not reliable. It wasn't the training the agents expected, but the birds were ready to deploy. The first pigeon used in the fight was covertly dropped into France in early October 1941. Her name was Kenley Lass. ...and she parachuted into enemy territory with an agent codenamed Felix. The exact nature of Kenley and Felix's mission is uncertain. Some accounts suggest they were sent to investigate the region around Paris... ...and see if an intelligence network could be set up. They parachuted into a sand quarry in a forested suburb southeast of Paris just before dawn. Kenley was tucked into Felix's jacket when he jumped and she stayed safely in place while he landed, rolled, and quickly pulled in his chute. Felix buried the parachute in the sand to hide it, and made his way toward the town of Fontainebleau, just over five miles from the drop zone. After the long hike, Felix was able to release Kenley inside a safe house. She stayed inside while he set off on clandestine investigation around town. Unfortunately, it took Felix 11 days to gather enough intel to send back his report with Kenley. This meant she had stayed cooped up in the house the whole time, fluttering about in the rafters. By the time Felix released Kenley a little after 8 a.m. on October 20th, she was ready to fly like the wind. She arrived back in England by 4:30 p.m. that same day, having covered more than 300 miles. Kenley had shown that the proof was in the pigeon. British intelligence was so impressed that they ordered more birds trained for the Army, Air Force, and Navy. Pigeons were soon filling all sorts of invaluable communication roles during the battle for Britain. The Royal Air Force sent two homing pigeons up with every bomber crew in case of a crash. Their homers had pre-written messages with them, so the airmen only had to write their coordinates in the time of the crash. If the plane was going down, every second counted. The RAF birds all had bright yellow Bakelite containers, and every British fancier knew that a yellow container was urgent. When a yellow message arrived, it was immediately called into RAF headquarters so a rescue could be dispatched. The system worked so well the RAF pigeons were credited with saving nearly 15% of downed aircrew's lives. In fact, some birds got the messages through even if the airmen didn't have time to write out their exact position. One of these was Winky, the first pigeon ever awarded a medal in World War II. Winky was aboard a Beaufort bomber on the cold night of February 23, 1942. Her crew had completed their bombing mission over Norway but the aircraft had been badly damaged by German anti-aircraft fire. Now on the way back toward England, the plane was coming apart. It crashed into the North Sea about a hundred miles off the British coast. The pilots had brought the plane down carefully and the crew had bailed out into the freezing water, including Winky. They set her loose and started to pray. They had no radio, and their transmissions from the damaged plane had been too weak to reach England. The men were now facing a freezing, lonely end in the sea. But Winky was a strong pigeon. She fought through a headwind to reach her home loft near Dundee, 120 miles from the crash site. When she landed on the wooden pad outside the loft a few hours later, it triggered a bell inside the fancier's home. He came out and immediately saw the oil-covered, exhausted Winky, but the fancier also noticed that she didn't have her message container. The fancier rushed to report Winky's return. The nearby RAF base, seeing that she was registered to one of their now-missing bomber crews, immediately set to work figuring out where she'd come from. With a little guesswork, wind calculations, and Winky's average flight speed, the RAF was able to triangulate a search grid to find the missing bomber crew. They sent out a rescue plane, and the airmen were found within 15 minutes. For a valiant, oil-covered flight, Winky was awarded the Dickin Medal. The Dickon was created for animals participating in the war effort, including dogs, horses, and, of course, pigeons. Winky was the first to receive the accolade, but 31 more pigeons would be awarded the medal for their efforts. These included G.I. Joe, who saved countless Italian villagers in the lives of at least 100 British troops in October 1943. The small Italian town of Calvi Vecchia had been occupied by German forces for months, and the Americans had finally decided to put the town as a target for bombers. However, the Germans retreated from the town by October 18th, likely due to rumors of the coming bombing. British soldiers moved into the town and recaptured it, but their efforts to radio the Americans were unsuccessful. The bombing was still en route unable to reach the American Air Force in time, troops on the ground turned to G.I. Joe. He was a blue checkered pigeon originally provided by the Americans, so his loft was back at American command. He was the only chance the Brits had to get a message to the U.S. bombers. G.I. Joe took off and made the trip back to U.S. headquarters in 20 minutes, flying over 60 miles an hour the whole way. He made it just five minutes before the bombers were scheduled to take off. For his effort, G.I. Joe became the only American pigeon awarded the Dickin Medal. The pigeons had proven to be vital lines of communication while the Nazis occupied Western Europe. But the time eventually came for the allies to take back the continent and their first step was gaining a foothold on the French coast. They chose Normandy as the site of the landing, which was to take place on June 6th, 1944, otherwise known as D-Day. When the armored carriers hit the beaches, carrying the first Allied soldiers to retake Europe, the pigeons were right there with them. Coming up, spy pigeons leave their mark on history at the invasion of Normandy. Now, back to the story. By 1944, the efficacy of homing pigeons in the war effort was well established. The birds were communicating between distant troops over large distances, aiding in the rescue of downed air crews, and bringing intelligence from occupied territories. But there were losses, too. The Nazis had figured out how valuable the pigeons were to British intelligence, quickly developed avian defenses. The primary method was falconry. The Nazis trained hawks and falcons to patrol the coasts and hunt pigeons flying out over the channel towards Britain. Many German squads also had express orders to shoot down pigeons on sight, and anyone caught sending pigeon messages back to England was sentenced to death. Frank Griffiths, a pilot for the pigeon squadron, suggested that some birds, I'm certain, got eaten in places where food was short. The Nazis also captured a significant number of British pigeons, intercepting their messages and replacing them with their own angry notes. Griffiths recalled, ''Sometimes you'd get terribly rude answers from the Germans.'' In addition to name-calling, the Nazis occasionally used intercepted pigeons for counter-espionage, They planted fake messages with captured birds to throw off British strategy. The British responded by dropping more pigeons to corroborate as much of their intel as possible. However, in one humorous though unverified account, a pigeon was supposedly responsible for undoing the Nazis' counterintelligence scheme. According to an anecdote told to American foreign correspondent William Shirer, the Nazis had built a fake airfield in the southwestern Netherlands. Wood airplane hangars and wooden planes, all built to scale, were allegedly laid out to attract British bombers to waste their ammunition. As the story goes, one of the British pigeon drops landed in a nearby village. A Dutch villager found the bird and its intel questionnaire and wrote about the wooden airfield. The civilian loosed the bird, who flew back to England within the hour. At dawn the next morning, a single RAF bomber came in low over the Nazi's decoy wooden airfield and dropped just one bomb. It was made of wood. The spy pigeons were an integral part of British strategy by the time the D-Day invasion was planned. But the importance of their messages became a matter of life and death in the months leading up to june 6 1944. the pigeons were so important to the landing that the raf pulled them off of bomber crew duty to join the intelligence operation in normandy before the spring of 1944 the only maps of the french coast were largely outdated the allied landing required information about every square mile of beach including the German defenses and treacherous geography. To accomplish this, the Allies increased the pigeon drops into occupied France. The more civilians could provide intelligence, the greater the chance for success at Normandy. Unfortunately, the Nazis noticed the elevated pigeon presence. They began planting their own pigeons Equipped with notes saying that civilians who provided intel would have their names inscribed in the French capital if the Allies won. Instead, these pigeons flew back to the Nazi lines, revealing the names of Allied sympathizers. To deal with this problem, the British began including microfilm copies of recent London newspapers with the pigeon containers to prove that their birds were real Allied operatives. But the nazi's defenses worked between the fake birds the trained peregrine falcons and coastal snipers only 6.7 percent of the allied pigeons made it home in may 1944. as d-day approached teams of special air service commandos and u.s airborne troops called jedberg teams were covertly dropped behind enemy lines to prepare for the invasion 330 pigeons were deployed with these teams for clandestine communication and many of the targets chosen for the drops were based on the intel gathered by pigeons in the spring one of these jedberg pigeons was fittingly named duke of normandy and his mission dropped him right between nazi artillery and a british battleship as june 6th approached Duke parachuted into occupied France with two British paratroopers, John Britton and Jimmy Loring. Their mission was to destroy four Nazi artillery sites that were aimed at the landing beaches. The men had trained for the mission for almost a year. Duke had been training since he was born. Britton and Loring had a deadline they had to have the siege guns destroyed or disabled by 5 a.m. on June 6th, the day of the landings. The battleship Arethusa was standing by off the coast with her deck guns targeted on the Nazi artillery. If the paratroopers didn't accomplish their mission by the deadline, the battleship would open fire, even if the men were still in range the original plan had called for Duke to simply be a backup. The parachute drop had included a wireless radio set. But the radio had been blown off course and landed 10 miles from the drop zone. Duke was Britain and Loring's only way to inform the Arethusa that they'd accomplished their mission and to hold fire. Accomplish their mission, they did. But not until 2 a.m. on the 6th, just a few hours before the deadline. They scribbled a message revealing their success and set Duke loose. And he took off in the wrong direction, heading inland. But Duke managed to get his bearings. The wind was simply too strong for him to fly directly home. Heavy rain and hail over the channel slowed him further, but he made it back to London. The battleship turned its guns toward other Nazi encampments as the landing commenced. Duke had gotten the message through. Paratrooper Britton later said, I firmly believe that this pigeon, the Duke of Normandy, played a significant part in the success of the D Day operations. For his difficult and dangerous flight, Duke received the Dickon Medal in 1947. Duke was certainly not the only pigeon flying on D Day. Unfortunately, bad weather on the morning of June 6th grounded or confused many of them. Others returned to their lofts covered in human blood, implying their carriers had been killed in action, and the birds had worked their way loose from the dead soldiers' coats. But one pigeon survived as a successful reporter for Reuters, Gustav was a veteran by June 1944. He'd served on missions in France and Belgium and always successfully returned to his home loft near Portsmouth. On D-Day, the RAF assigned Gustav and three other pigeons to Montague Taylor, a Reuters correspondent attached to the landing force. Taylor and Gustav were aboard one of the ships off the coast. At 8.30 a.m. on June 6th, Gustav carried the first news of the Allied landing. His message said: First assault troops landed at 7:50 a.m. No interference, no enemy aircraft seen. The landings had been a hard-won success, and Gustav was the first to let the world know via the news wire services. He also received a Dickin Medal. But this hero experienced an ignoble death just after the war ended. He was crushed underfoot one day when his owner was cleaning out his loft. However, the pigeon contributions on D-Day did end on a humorous note. One of the last pigeons dispatched from Normandy returned to Britain on June 7th. She was carrying a note that said... Pigeon released owing to unsuitable accommodation. Having laid two eggs, I think she deserves some leave. As the war in Europe drew to a close, pigeons continued their reliability. In the final months of the war, the U.S. Army Pigeon Service reported a 96% success rate for pigeon messages. By the end of World War II, over 250,000 British pigeons had been put into service. Australian fanciers contributed 13,500 pigeons, and American pigeoneers had deployed over 52,000 birds. When the Germans surrendered, many of these pigeons simply returned to their home lofts and went back to racing. In 1956, the U.S. Army finally terminated the pigeon service. Homing pigeons were largely retired from espionage duty. But the birds continued to serve in many capacities for the rest of the century. France used pigeon messaging in the Vietnam War, while the U.S. Coast Guard experimented with search-and-rescue pigeons in the 1970s. The Swiss maintained a military pigeon corps until 1996. Even up through the early 2000s, Homing pigeons were used to ferry blood samples from remote areas of Britain and France, as well as carry police messages in rural India. To this day, the Chinese military maintains a pigeon division in case of apocalyptic disasters or World War III. Pigeon racing is also popular in many parts of the world. King Faisal of Saudi Arabia was said to have 150,000 racing pigeons. In May 2013, a Chinese businessman bought the fastest racing pigeon in the world, a Belgian pigeon named Bolt, for a tidy $400,000. Sadly, the noble work of homing pigeons in war is often forgotten in the modern era, as Internet and widespread mobile phone coverage have made them obsolete. But in a world where electronic communication can be monitored and future conflicts are likely to be cyber wars fought out on digital battlefields, perhaps an old fashioned homing pigeon will return as a secure and reliable form of communication or espionage. Thanks for listening to Espionage. We'll be back next week with a new episode. For more information on spy pigeons, amongst the many sources we used, we found Bletchley Park and the Pigeon Spies by Bernard O'Connor extremely helpful to our research. You can find all of our Parcast originals for free on Spotify, including Espionage and the full catalog of our deep dives into the world of clandestine operation
2: listening to your local community radio station, 88.3 Southern FM. Well, it's uh, time for the end of our show, and uh, we've got some exciting stuff coming up on Pigeon Radio Australia. Next week, we're going to have our new Victorian Pigeon Organisation correspondent, Tony. Tony Barbara, uh, he's from Wallen, and he's going to be our new Victorian Pigeon Organisation correspondent and giving us results and uh, everything from the uh, VPO and uh, I did discuss it with him on the phone and he said that um, yeah he wants to bring all pigeon fancies together doesn't matter what federation you belong to so that's uh, Paul Kisaitis. Paul Kisaitis is going to be our VPO correspondent as of next week. That's how it should be. Anyway Tony uh, we'll hear from him next week and uh, I've got to say to you it's time
3: to go now so goodbye Tony goodbye Ivan and goodbye to all the listeners and everybody around the way. alright and it's goodbye from me
2: Ivan Fonti, and we'll catch you here same time same station on Pigeon Radio Australia next week so cheerio till then
10: so,
1: stop the pigeon stop the pigeon stop the pigeon stop the